car sales, politics, sports gear, and startups in Boise. But when he had this idea, it's, it's you know, again, this idea of like he, he saw a problem in his business and then said, OK, I can go solve that problem with with software. But when he decided he was going to start this software company, he moved from the Silicon Valley to Boise to start his company. On this edition of the Boise Dev Podcast, we chat with serial entrepreneur Travis Hawks about his longtime roots in the Boise area, how he caught Boise State lightning in a bottle, and how the startup landscape is beginning to evolve. Capital 11 managing partner Travis Hawks, next. The Boise Dev Podcast is brought to you by Anthony's Restaurant in downtown Boise. It's in the JR Simplot building adjacent to the Jump Plaza. And it's one of my wife and I's favorite spots. I'm a big seafood guy. They have some amazing dishes there. The oysters, of course, are excellent. Their crab, their fresh fish is so good. They call it the essence of the Northwest. And they, they say it's because they jet in the fish from the docks in Seattle straight to Boise. And they layer that with local options, beers, wines, coffees, ice cream, and the dishes on the menu. Everything I've tried has been so good because it's fresh, um, but the chef there prepares it in really inventive, fun, and interesting ways. The setting is is really cool too, right on the Jump Plaza there. You can park in the JR Simplot Company garage, go up the elevator and you're there. It's really, actually, for a downtown restaurant, really easy to get to. You can make your reservations online at anthonys.com. It's a great place for dinners, families, business lunches, and the whole lot. Give it a try. We appreciate their support of the Boise Dev Podcast. It's Anthony's in downtown Boise. This is the Boise Dev Podcast. Here's your host, Don Day. Travis Hawks, Managing Partner for Capital 11. Thanks for joining us on the Boise Dev Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate the time. You know, we uh, I think you are the first Boise Dev guest uh, who's also a Bora Lion. Um, what? The first a, one? A, a, I mean, I guess I haven't asked everybody, so it's possible. Uh, but, you know, I know that uh, you uh, were, let's say we, we went to Bora a few years apart. I, I won't indicate uh, <laughs> on which side of the spectrum that is. But I remember there was a... There was like a an Idaho Statesman article or something years ago on you, and, and I think it stuck with me because um, you had not the same government teacher that I had, but there was like two American government teachers that were like paired: Cynthia Jenkins, who I hope sees this, and Mrs. Clark, Jody Jody Clark, and you had Mrs. Yep. Clark. So let's 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 start with Bora High School a little bit and. I know you dabble in politics a bit. Tell us kind of, let's start there. What, where did you, where did you kind of develop that political interest before we get into the business side? Yeah. So that, that article you're talking about, um, it came out the Sunday before the election in 2012 and it was, it was on the front page of the Statesman. So it was, it was (laughs) quite an honor (laughs) that they did that. But, um, yeah, there was some good, uh, talk in there about my Bora, my Bora roots and about, uh, Mrs. Clark and my, my government class. But, you know, I, I, I was always interested in politics, even as a kid. I mean, just kind of really weirdly, like interested in the Iran Contra hearings and presidential debates. And I watched all that stuff as a, as a kid. 
and listened to Rush Limbaugh, you know, as a kid and uh, in high school and things. And so I just was always kind of interested in politics, never really thought about it for my career um, and, and went a different direction. But then, you know, later in my career, um, you know, got got involved and and ultimately that that article was because, uh, you know, I'd gotten really involved in the, the Romney campaign and had some amazing experiences through that. Got a ride in the motorcade and, um, you know, met, went to the, the presidential debate with, uh, you know, President Obama and, and Governor Romney and was like seven rows from the stage for a presidential debate, which is, you know, super hard to get into. So had some awesome experiences along the way and uh, did, you know, political consulting and fundraising and things for a time. But man, that, that is a tough, that is a tough business. And I retired from that a few years ago and I'm much happier (laughs) post post doing that. So, you know, I, I still follow it because I'm kind of a junkie, but you know, it's also changed a lot as, as you know, you've been an observer for a long time. It's, you know, we're, we're getting more in that, lowest denominator space than than kind of what originally attracted me to it, which was the more kind of high level strategy of it. I just remember that from that government class. Like, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't super uh, super political kid. I'm not a very political adult, but I remember the the thing I really took away from that was um, the best politics politics is compromise. And I still I like I just that I was thunderstruck and I still feel that way. And we don't see it as much anymore. And uh, we, no, we I mean, that, that. You, you probably did the same thing. Yeah, you probably did the same thing we did, which was, you know, you do an actual, you know, someone's the governor and there's the house and you have to pass bills and stuff. And I remember I was I was the speaker of the house for for that exercise. And absolutely, you learned that you had to compromise. You know, that was the only way you could get anything done. And I, I think if I had, uh, you know, not pass any bills because I was dying on an ideological sword. I would have felled the class. <laughs> from, you know. But yeah, she was, she was awesome. And, uh, definitely loved my, I'm, I'm a loyal Bora lion, just like you and proud of those yeah. roots for sure. So let's talk business a little bit. You, um, you grew up around business and, and a longstanding Boise business, that your dad founded, I believe. Tell us about that and kind of those early days and how that yeah. mold you in some of some of the later stages. Yeah, absolutely. So my my parents um, grew up in Pocatello and and that's where they met was and and got married was in Pocatello. They moved to Pocatello or, or sorry, they moved to Boise in 1969, and that was before I was born, about six years before I was born. And sometimes I think about how grateful I am that they moved to Boise <laughs> before I was born. Not, nothing against Pocatello, but I just think my life would be a little different if that's where I had grown up and, and you know, had, had all the relationships and things. So uh, they moved here in 1969, and my dad started a used car business uh, in 1969 and uh, was in the car business his, his entire life. He, he passed away a few years ago, but was always in the car business. And over the years, multiple locations and, and, uh, you know, names and different things evolved over time, started downtown and, you know, migrated out to Fairview over time and some of those types of things. But it it definitely, um, you know, made a huge difference in how I grew up and how, how I approach business now and just, uh, having my dad be an entrepreneur, 
Um, being a small business owner, being self-employed, you know, all of those things really resonated with me. And, uh, you know, I tell the story sometimes that I, I thought everybody worked, you know, early to late six days a week, um, because that's what my dad did. And, uh, when, when I first got married, I was getting ready to go to work on Saturday and my wife was like, what, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to work. She said, why are you working on Saturday? And I was like, why wouldn't I work on Saturday? Because that that's just the environment I had grown up in. And, uh, you know, my dad was certainly super, you know, supportive, come to my games, all those things. He, he was a great dad, but he also worked really hard and, you know, worked late when he needed to work late as a small business owner. And so that, you know, again, that impression weighed heavily on me. And, and I just, I grew up thinking that that was very normal and kind of what, what everyone's dad did. So you do that, you kind of go along, you get into your adult life and you're a sports fan. You played hoops for Bora. Do I remember that right? Yeah. And yeah. you get, you get involved in, in more than just sort of like enjoying sports, but you kind of start to play to the sports fans, uh, wants. And you, you did something unique, right? So tell us a little bit about, about that. I'm being vague because you'll answer it. Instead of me yeah, telling the story, yeah, it's sure. way more interesting if you tell it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the backstory is, um, you know, again, related to my dad, who, who was looking for a side business uh, in addition to the car business. And he was one of the first franchisees of Pro Image Sports. Uh, and he opened, uh, you know, store first in Nampa when I was uh, about 11 years old. And then he was one of the first, he was an original tenant in the Boise town square mall. Um, and so I like to tell people I got to skip school the day that Boise town square opened and work, work in the store. And so again, that's, that's how I grew up in my teenage years was working in the store, um, which was an amazing learning experience. Um, you know, learning about, uh, customers and, and sales and, and even some exposure to cash flow. And at one point, my dad, when I was in high school, put me in charge of the posters and I was in charge of ordering and restocking those posters. And I remember going to him and saying like, Hey, we sell all these posters. Let's just order, you know, let's order 10,000 posters. Then we'll never run out. And he was like, well, the problem is you have to pay for them. And if it's going to take us three years to sell them, that doesn't make sense. So those were great lessons uh, growing up. And my dad never wanted to go beyond one store <clears throat> because the car business is pretty, you know, labor intensive and he didn't feel like, you know, he could handle more than that. Uh, but when I was going to college uh, at Boise State, I uh, was working in the in the store full time and and really loved the small business aspect of it, the sports side of it, all those things. And so I went to him and said, hey, I'm I'm interested in making this my career, you know, at least at least for now. And I want to grow, you know, and I'll put in sweat equity, I'll invest what money I have, I'll, I'll work for less than market to get more equity, you know, all of those things. And so we did that. And then <clears throat> that that culminated with, I think, kind of what you're talking about, which is in in 2005, actually, I had the idea to open uh, an all Boise State store, which was a really novel idea at that time. Um, you know, there was nothing like that that existed even in most other places, uh, you know, as far as a one team kind of concept. Um, so I had that idea and we opened that uh, June 1st of 2006 uh, you know, there at the mall in Boise. 
And I didn't so, realize yeah, that you, you were know, so you, know, you were so close to the wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty amazing timing. And you know, we had a brand new coach. We didn't know exactly what was going to happen, uh, but all that happened was uh, you know undefeated season and then beating Oklahoma in one of the greatest uh, college football games of all time. So we rode that wave, and it was amazing. And you know, those are. Those are memories I'll never forget. It was it was crazy. I mean, we did, you know, we did uh, as much volume in basically a six to seven week span as as now we would do in a year, um, because it was just it was just lightning in a bottle, as as you certainly know by being being here at that time. So so yeah, that was that was awesome and an awesome experience, and that was the primary thing I really did um, was just the the stores uh you know in the mall uh up until about you know 2010 2011 and then that's when i started to branch out to some other things i i feel like i've got to tell my my favorite all-time boise state joke and i say this is a boise state fan how many boise state fans does it take to screw in a light bulb travis how many it, it takes 10 one to screw in the light bulb and nine to stand around and talk about how great the Fiesta Bowl was. And I think that's still, I think that still applies even all these years later. Right. Um, and so you really, I mean, you really, does. it still does. Feel that. Oh yeah. I mean, just fortunate timing, you know, and, and what happened was, you know, if you remember 2004, the team went undefeated in the regular season, we went to the Liberty bowl. We lost that game to Louisville. That's when, you know, coach Avalos had the, the interception return in that game. So there was a lot of excitement going into 2005. And then, you know, we had that first game at Georgia, which was going to be this big kind of Boise State's arrived. And then we just got, you know, blown out, you know, at Georgia. And Jared's it was actually that puking and yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, six, six turnovers in the first half. So it was actually that game and, and that season, which was, was basically kind of a disappointment. You know, everyone, everyone was talking BCS game in 2005 and we end up, you know, losing four games or whatever. But, you know, we had the, the Pro Image Sports Store there at the mall. And we, of course, had done really well with Boise State merchandise in 2004 with the undefeated season in the Liberty Bowl. But it, it was actually that 05 season where we continued to sell product even after that Georgia debacle, even with the disappointing season and everything that I was like, OK, maybe there's something to this where, you know, we don't have to go undefeated for this to be viable. But it, it was super risky. I had lots of people tell me um, it was a bad idea and that, you know, how, you know, maybe it can do well in football season, but how are you going to make it the rest of the year? And I mean, I had more doubters than believers for sure. And then, you know, we got fortunate with the Fiesta Bowl, but, you know, here we are uh, 16 plus years later and, you know, we're still open. We've been through down seasons and, and uh, you know, re one recession, now two recessions, you know, so it's I think it's it's proven itself as a concept. I mean, I remember back in those days, I would go to the mall, you know, maybe once a month on a, on a weekend and and go in there. And I always like to say, so my, my wife was, a, a as you know, a, a Blue and Orange Store employee in those years yep. and when she was in college and I would go in and, and shop. I'm sure she she uh, she uh, checked me out a few times. I don't mean that in the <laughs> in the way it sounds, but like was the <laughs> I cashier. I was probably checking her out. Uh, yeah. And so I always like to think about yeah. that. Right. But you would go in there and bedlam. I mean, especially in those years. And there was blue and orange gear all over this town. And, and certainly you didn't sell all of it. The, the school has its officially licensed stores and 
even a little online then. Yeah. But I mean, I can't even fathom the volume you would have done in those years because everybody was wearing blue and orange. Yeah, it was, Vandals were wearing blue and orange. I mean, crazy. you know. Yes. Well, the other thing was it's different from now where back then people didn't have a closet full of blue orange. You know, I mean, the Nike contract just started yeah. and there wasn't great gear in the early 2000s to even buy. People didn't have a lot of good stuff. So you just you just had a blue ocean of a market. Um, and then, you know, we were not only fortunate with the Fiesta Bowl, but then, you know, we, we went through Kellen Moore era, you know, <laughs> where we, we lose three games in four years and we're in the top 10 and all that. And so that was uh, incredible, you know, kind of time frame as well. So you, you look at kind of four of our first, you know, six years that we were open were or five of our first seven years, I guess, that we were open were, were pretty incredible. So you're chopping away at this at this business in the 2010s. You did some stuff for Romney. You uh, you know you worked on uh, Tommy's campaign, I believe. You worked for BVA. And then the last few years, you've kind of reinvented yourself again with Capital Eleven, which is what you're doing now. Tell us about the genesis of that idea and where that started. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's interesting because we you know we talked about the politics, and it was it was actually that that first kind of open my eyes to doing something outside of the mall. You know, I think if you'd asked me back in 2007, I would have said in 2022, I'll, I'll still be, you know, working here at the mall. And that that's kind of what my career would be. But it was a combination of as I was out, you know, doing some of those things uh, for MIT. Um, and, and for the first time, I'm kind of a micromanager. So for the first time, kind of leaving the stores and realizing like they're, they're going to be okay without me there. Um, that, that made a big difference because I realized I could do other things and I have great, great team that can, you know, carry the, carry the ball down the field when I'm not there. And then secondly, you know, I just met some amazing people during that time, really successful, you know, business people that were other, you know, fundraisers and donors and things. And I, I really learned like they just, they, nobody asked me what school I graduated from or how much money was in my bank account. And it was a learning experience that, you know, I was accepted because I was in the room. And I think it kind of raised the ceiling for me of what I thought I, was possible for me, you know, that, that I didn't have to, you know, go to Harvard and, and, you know, work on Wall Street to go successfully uh, do, you know, private equity or venture capital or, or real estate development or any of those things. So that, that helped a lot. And then ultimately with Capital 11, um, my business partner, uh, David Gardner, who's, he's from Idaho Falls, um, he's lived in Idaho his whole life. We'd met uh, about 25 years ago, been friends for a long time. We were doing some side investing together, you know, around this time. And then we formed Capital 11, not with at that time, the idea that it would turn into some big thing, but just to kind of formalize those those side investments. And that was, you know, 13 years ago. But as we kept doing some of these side investments, we were both doing our own thing, but we we're doing some of these side investments together. A couple of those side investments turned into bigger things. And then it was, you know, just just here in the last kind of four to five years where we both said, okay, we're going to we're going to both jump in on this full time um, because we see a lot of opportunity. We see a, a opportunity to create jobs and we're, we're bullish on, on Boise, on the ecosystem here. And so that, 
you know, just really accelerated from there and honestly a lot faster than, than we would have thought. So, you know, at this point we're still doing some real estate investment and development. We own some operating companies. I mean, we have, you know, retail stores still, we have a auto lending business. We do some of these things. And then, um, you know, as you know, because you cover this, we've, we've gotten really active in the venture capital space, uh, over the last four years. And so we, we just saw it as an opportunity because of the relationships we have, because of Boise being undersaturated from a capital perspective, and just really believing that it's gonna that the tech ecosystem is gonna grow like crazy. We just felt like this is a great place to invest for the last fifteen year, for the next fifteen years. So let's let's go do it. So we did our first venture investment in uh, you know January of two thousand nineteen. And we've now invested in 35 companies. We've been super active. And about 70% of those companies are in Boise. And then 30% are outside of Idaho. We're kind of geographic agnostic on, on those. More, more kind of just relationship and opportunity based. And, you know, again, we're, we're, we love it. Um, I think back to what we talked about at the beginning growing up. Uh, with a with a dad who was an entrepreneur and a small business owner, and me always going down that path, I I, I joke sometimes I have a disorder that I just I want to operate twenty businesses and I don't have the time to do that. I think that's part of the reason I, I was led into this was it's still giving me that fix on a certain level um, to be around those founders and entrepreneurs and you know, play, play a small part in the, the growth of those companies. I remember right after, so I, right after I left channel seven in 2016, this is a fun story for, for the audience to hear. Uh, you call me up or I don't know. You're like, Hey, come out, come out and meet with me. I got an idea. And I was like, okay, cool. Whatever. I, I, got, I don't got anything else to do. I quit my job. And you're like, you should start, you start like a little news business for Boise. And, and I remember you said like, like the drudge report. I remember that stuck in my head. I remember sitting yeah. there and be like, Travis, I've looked at that. That's not going to work. You can't, you can't make that happen. Like you can only, you can only do it if you're Tegna or, or McClatchy or you're crazy. <laughs> and walking out of there and being like, Oh, well, that was fun. Cool. Thanks Travis. And, and then here we are, uh, we have five employees and two products and we're the fourth most visited website in town. And so you were right. And you've joked that I should have given you a piece of equity. Uh, and I probably, I, I probably yeah, should, I'm, I'm not waiting. going to, but I probably should have. <laughs> I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for those for those shares, but for for helping give you the idea, helping inspire it. Well, I'd had the idea. I just wasn't convinced it was going to work. So, but that, that gets to my point, which is so you've got a little bit of a vision, right? And you're able to see this. And this next question is like asking you to describe some of your children, but but describe some of the portfolio companies you have and and why you've picked them and why they work for you and and David and what you're trying to do. Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, our 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 kind of normal thing that we're looking for are, you know, software SaaS companies. Um, that's that's kind of our normal thing. But we make exceptions to that, and we've done some investments in hardware. We've done some investments in some other things. Um, but that's that's what we're we're most most looking for is those kind of B two B, you know, tech SaaS companies. Um, but you know, we're we're, we're we're investing at the seed stage normally as our first investment at that seed stage or early seed stage. And so because of that, 
you know, it's, it's very founder driven. It's very much about sitting down with those, you know, founder or founders and believing that they can go out and execute, believing that they can pivot when they need to pivot. And honestly, believing that they can just kind of survive because it's, it's brutal. I think sometimes people see, you know, something like the social network and think, oh, this is glamorous, you know, starting this company and, and becoming a billionaire. And it is it is so difficult. And I feel like sometimes we're part, you know, therapists just to help, you know, these entrepreneurs through through the ups and downs of, of what they're going through. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, as some of them I know you've you've interviewed and know, I mean, Rachel from from Bold Hue which is, is, has a hardware component, but what a, just a tremendous founder, her and, and her partner, Karen, um, just, you know, when I met with Rachel for the first time, I was like, just, I believe that this person is going to go out and work around the clock until she's successful. And she, she shared a story from her past that kind of, that resonated, you know, even more. There's another company you saw. So, so um, let's, before at, we go too far, let's explain what yeah. Voltu does. Yeah. 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 So they, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the easiest way to explain it is, is like a Keurig for makeup. Uh, and the issue is, you know, people have all different skin tones. And so it's hard to just go into a store. Um, I've, I've learned a lot about makeup through my association with Bold Hue, um, but they're developing a product that will come out next year um, where you basically will scan your, your face. So it gets your, your current, um, you know, skin tone. And then, that formula will mix in the machine and give you, you know, in that case, like the, the foundation uh, that you would use because over, you know, even you're in the sun more, your skin tone is going to change, you know, different times of the year or whatever. Um, but, you know, there's so many different skin tones and, and a small number of just products, right? So lowers waste it's especially difficult. Yeah. Lowers waste. It's more cost effective, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's a have, big idea. Yeah, people who have black and brown skin tones too, it helps them custom match. Yes. Or if my my wife, for instance, her yes. skin is darker in the summer because it's just the way her skin works, and lighter in the winter. And you buy foundation. I remember hearing Rachel pitch this at We Rock last spring, and I heard her pitch it twice mm -hmm. that day because the ITC did a thing. She was the one of only two yeah. women founders there, and um, yeah. I listened to all those pitches, and she's the only one I wrote about because it's the only one that I was like, oh, people are going to get this. But that day at We Rock, um, I was sitting towards the back of the room and I was next to Jess Flynn. And <clears throat> at the next table, there was a table of like four or five women. And I was listening to her pitch, which I had just heard. Like made sense to me, but I don't understand makeup, as you got to point out. Yeah. And I hear this table of women going, oh, my gosh, where can I get that? Like I hear them react and you don't hear that at pitches very often you don't hear people yeah, go yeah. oh i get this from an end user standpoint right uh so that's a i mean we wrote about it in a ton of traffic so i'm hoping you're going to get that out because i think a lot of people will be well served by that yeah it's 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 an idea that that resonates with people like you just said where when people hear it they're like oh i want that and yeah i mean they're making great i just actually talked to rachel today and they're making great progress and and it's going to launch in 2023 you know it's it's a it's a hard process to go through you know getting a, a functioning you know prototype that works um but they're on their original timeline and and it'll launch next year which is exciting and and definitely a really big idea 
big swing, but also a high degree of difficulty because you're you're taking on uh, you're taking on the makeup industry, you know, which is kind of like taking on the oil industry. <laughs> so tell us about a couple of others. Yeah. So one, I was just going to mention uh, you saw at BEW uh, Pest Share really amazing because uh, these guys were, you know, a, a lot of times where these great companies come from is is people you know, are experiencing the problem in their own business and say, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so they go out and solve the problem. And that's what these guys did. They're long time, just pest control guys, which is, you know, a business that's, that hasn't really changed, has not really been disruptive. Um, but there's a lot of friction when it comes to rental houses, which we, we know the, the numbers on rental houses are just going up and up. Right. And it's, it's, they, they, when you knock on a door of a rental house, you don't get that sell, uh, as a, as a pest control person. Uh, they think it's the owner's responsibility. The owner's going to say, no, it's not our responsibility. So there's a lot of friction in there. So these guys, uh, all three founders, all based here in the treasure Valley, they came up with a, uh, a software platform and a, and a different differentiated model where, um, all of these, you know, it's, it's kind of similar to like how insurance would work, where all these people are kind of pooling together. Um, they're, you know, a monthly fee that would be a lot less than what you normally would pay. And then it's it's more of a problem base. So when you have a problem, you go on to the, the web website or, or a text or or the app and say, hey, we're having this problem with ants and and the service is, is dispatched to you. And they're getting phenomenal, phenomenal traction. Um, signing up, you know, property managers and and property owners, uh, you know, all over the country. Um, and it's, you know, again, just just these guys saw a problem in the in the industry and went out and fixed it. But they're they're disrupting it through software, um, which allows it to scale at a really high level. Fascinating. And so you've got these kind of portfolio companies. You're investing. You're putting these things together. How do you see the ecosystem here right now? Obviously, there's a few uh, local private equity players here, where frankly there were there were none. Yeah, <laughs> Highway 12, I guess, kind of. Um, but now there's several. How, how do you see this ecosystem kind of clicking together? And and then more importantly, what does it mean for the broader economy outside of? And it's great for founders and people who could do this, but how does it help the everyday person? Yeah. Yeah. You know, part, part of my thought process on this was based on, you know, I've lived here my whole life. Right. And so I grew up, you know, knowing about Albertsons and Morrison Knudsen and Micron and those stories. And, and you think about everything they contributed, you know, parks and buildings and jobs and all of these things. And so a lot of times I think about like, what's, who's the next generation of those? Because, you know, we, we can't just, can't just live on those legacies forever and that's JR Simplot's not here to fund all the microns, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's that was, you know, I just felt like the the, the technology is is going to be what pushes Idaho forward. Um, and and ultimately, I, I think what we'll really see, and I, I think I I believe that in you know ten to fifteen years, people will will drive around this valley and just be kind of shocked with what's happened in the sense of they'll see you know, buildings and names of companies that they didn't hear of 10 years earlier. Like there's, there's going to be, I mean, this has happened in Salt Lake. You, you drive from Salt Lake to Provo, 
you're going to drive by a bunch of buildings and you're going to be like, who, who are these companies? But then you look them up and it's like they had a $2 billion exit, right? And I think we're, we're going to see that in, in Boise. Um, that's certainly part of our thesis. And, and to talk about the ecosystem, it's incredible what's happened over the last four years. I feel like when we first started doing this in you know, early 2019, the, the flywheel was, was starting to go. Um, but it is it is in a whole different place now. The the quality of founders, the quality of companies, and the number of of companies and opportunities that we're seeing is a night and day difference from four years ago. And part of that was accelerated because of COVID. We've had a huge influx of of uh, talent move here, as as we know from Seattle and from uh, San Francisco and from LA, and that has made a difference. There's been a huge shift when you look at distributed workforce, right, with work from home. You know, big question around Boise, the, the people who didn't believe we could become a tech ecosystem would say, well, how are you going to build a, a Microsoft in Boise? There's not enough engineers. There's not enough people. You're not going to be able to do it. Well, they don't all need to be in Boise anymore because of the adoption of a distributed workforce. And so that's that's become less of an issue. And then the other thing that's really changed is the view of those larger venture capital firms. You take a, a firm like Andreessen Horowitz, who's you know one of the largest, most successful VC firms. Uh, a few years ago, they were investing exclusively in the Valley, in, in Silicon Valley. That's that's the only place they were investing. Now you look, I mean, they, they led this series B for uh, Tackle, you know, a local Boise company, Tackle.io. Um, you look at PlexTrack, which did a series B the end of last year, with Insight Partners out of New York City. That's, that's again, Insight Partners wasn't writing checks in Boise five years ago. And, and that was a massive, you know, check um, that's created thousands of jobs, you know, coming into this valley. And, and ultimately, um, as those exits start to happen in the coming years, there's going to be a huge effect with that as, uh, you know, multiple uh, employees have options and, and cash out at that as entrepreneurs go start new things, as entrepreneurs that exited invest in new things, we'll start getting, you know, that, that flywheel going, you know, faster and faster, um, you know, as those things progress. And then the, the other thing I'll say, you mentioned kind of the capital. I mean, we're still undersaturated from a capital perspective. We need more, uh, you know, more check writers here, but, but it, it's improved over the last few years. And obviously, you know, stage.o has been awesome. Uh, we, we have partnered with them on a few companies. Uh, they've, you know, deployed 30 plus million dollars into this ecosystem and investment. We've, as I mentioned, invested in 35 companies, you know, you've got trolley house that, that does a great job with what they're doing. But we need more. We need, you know, we need more of those to keep growing the ecosystem. But it's we've made a lot of progress. So I, I was talking to we see Mayor Lauren McLean about a month ago, and it was actually on another topic. One of the things that her office is trying to figure out is how do you take this workforce that moved here during the pandemic that was working for Meta, Google, Twitter, Amazon, you know, whatever name the company, and they moved here because they could, and they are. Yep consumers in our economy, but not necessarily producers. And she's the, the city of Boise and I'm sure others are like, okay, how do we figure out how to maybe pull these people in now? And this was honestly, this was before the big wave of layoffs that we started to see 
you think that there's opportunity that, you know, Andrea Smith moved here and she worked for Twitter and now she doesn't work for Twitter. Do you think there's opportunity in some of that talent that we've acquired in the Valley and maybe engaging them in our economy and not just working for Google? Yeah, it's a great point. And it's, it is something that's needed where, because we, we need to grow the, the tax base from a business standpoint, right? That's going to be critical to, to infrastructure and everything else is it's, it's not just those people living here and working remote, but how can we grow that corporate tax base and have those, those tax dollars all kind of stay here? And I think absolutely the the way to do that is is going to be through through these a lot of cases through these new companies. And I think that, you know, I think for a long time there were people in Seattle and Silicon Valley that would have been like, sure, I want to move to Boise. That sounds great. But where am I going to work? Right. I'm not going to be able to go find a job there that matches what I'm doing. And as you said, COVID allowed them that opportunity to do both to live in Boise, but keep that old job. But now they're here they're making those connections. They're, they're making those introductions. They may start something on their own. They may start something with someone else, or they may be a C-suite hire with a startup. We're seeing those types of things happen all the time. We're seeing companies that we're investing in are hiring people that have lived in Boise for less than a year or two um, that moved here from, you know, Seattle or California. So I think those people want to do it. We still need to grow, you know, the number of those jobs uh, to do it. And I, I think, you know, how government helps do that is is honestly just with business climate, uh, it, you know, enhancing the business climate, which which I think a lot of people are engaged in. And, and even even the, uh, you know, the lowering of the corporate tax rate um, this last session was really important to this, because when you're competing against a state like Nevada that has no corporate None. tax or a state like Utah that has a 5% corporate tax. Like that matters. That matters to people. Wyoming has none. And especially in this distributed workforce environment, it, those, those questions come up to founders of where do I want to start my company and what's the tax impact? Do you think we're going to start to see some wage balancing? I mean, that's been, I think, one of the challenges for workforce here, both at, honestly, at two levels, right? For the people who are working maybe for a, a Plex track, but people who are working for a blue and orange store or a Boise dev, right? You know, you've got these different tiers. Boise dev is maybe in the middle tier there, but <laughs> you know, you've got retail workers and you've got knowledge workers and you've got tech workers. They were working for a Silicon Valley company. They might've been making two bills. That same job here is not probably two bills. Do you think that we're going to start to see some wage balancing and Micron's in there too? How do you see that kind of working out and playing out? Yeah, I do. And I, I think it's going to balance both directions. I think we're, we're starting to see that in the current environment where now every day we're seeing, you know, layoffs at Meta, at Twitter, at Oracle, you know, and so we're, you know, we went through this time where it was so hard to hire people and so hard to find people. Plus, the economy was really uh, roaring, you know, propped up by by stimulus. Right. And so everybody's business was great. Everybody was making a lot of money and it was hard to hire people. So people kind of overhired, overpaid. And, you know, the tech, the tech world is the first one to, to really start to, you know, scale that down. And so we're seeing a lot of that. So that will bring wages down. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you saw the thing with, with Twitter where they, 
you know, they put out the thing that's like, hey, if you still want to work here, here's here's the rules, right? Like you've got to come into the office. You've got to do this, that or the other. You know, a couple a year ago, no one in Silicon Valley could do that. Like they were held hostage by the employees of like they couldn't even bring people back to the office because people would just quit and go work somewhere else. So that's going to balance out. I think wages come down on that end. And I think they're naturally coming up here for sure. They're they're still not you know, equivalent, um, and, and, you know, haven't, haven't kept pace with the cost of living increase that we saw here, but I'll say too, being in the retail world here, I mean, we used to, I mean, a few years ago, we would hire, you know, people at eight and $9 an hour. And I mean, you, I mean, now we're, I mean, you're, you're paying high school kids, 12, $13 an hour. I mean, it's it, McDonald's it, hiring high school kids for 15 bucks. I'm like, man, if I yeah. could have gotten 15 I mean, bucks a, in high school. Yeah. There's, there's, there's uh fast, fast food places paying $17, yeah. you know, starting, starting out. So, so we're seeing those service job wages have certainly risen a lot. Um, you know, there's still going to be that big difference between those Silicon Valley tech jobs and Boise jobs. But I, I do think that balancing is, is happening. So let's talk about some of the under radar under the radar players here. We've talked about tackle and Plex Track, and uh, you know I think Love Every's in that in that category, kind of those next on the cusp players. But who are some people that you've got your eye on that could be kind of that next big thing that move on that yeah. conveyor belt to become you know a future count or a future you know uh, cradle point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and love every is a, a great example. As you said, it's, it's, you know, it's hard right now because capital markets are so disrupted that companies that were, were kind of ready to go public have, have been delayed, but yeah, there's some, there's some great things. Um, you know, Tavuti, which is uh, Troy McLean founded, that was actually our first uh, investment. They continue to just grow and, and do really well. And, um, you know, I think they'll end up doing a, a series B next year and, and just continuing to, you know, make really great progress. I know a company you're familiar with goodbye, um, you know, started by, by two local founders here, uh, that are just started in this office. Kara Oppenheimer oh, the, used to have my office and really? now I have it. So yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah, know that me. this town's tiny. Yeah, they are, they are phenomenal. And that's, that's not one of our portfolio companies, but we're hoping we'll, we'll be able to invest in a, you know, future round, but you look at, you look at the, the scale of what they're doing and what that, what that can become. Um, I mean, I think that that can, you know, it's, it's just kind of limitless on, on how big, uh, you know, how big that that can get. And there's, you know, there's a lot of companies, you know, one interesting one, uh, and uh, and also one we've invested in just want want a full disclosure, but it's an interesting story because uh, there's a company called Fitted uh, that's mm-hmm. that's uh, headquartered in Eagle. And one thing that I love about that story is is Monty, who you may have spoken to, who's the the founder. He lived in the Silicon Valley and owned a running shop there. You know, was a mom and pop retailer, which uh, immediately had that connection with me. But when he had this idea, it's, it's, you know, again, this idea of like he, he saw a problem in his business and then said, OK, I can go solve that problem with with software. But when he decided he was going to start this software company, he moved from the Silicon Valley to Boise to start his company. And that is, again, something that never would have happened five years ago. But he did that because of quality of life and because of 
you know, cost of living and wages, you know, for employees and all those things. And ultimately felt like he'd be able to raise capital just as easy here as, as there. And they're, they're getting some amazing traction on what they're doing and, and, uh, you know, have grown a, a ton, done multiple rounds of, of funding. So there's, there's a lot of these companies that I think are under the radar to most people, especially because so many of these companies are, you know, B2B, um, that they're not consumer facing. Goodbye, obviously, is an example of a consumer facing company. But so many of these Plex track others are, you know, uh, business facing that they're kind of under the radar unless you know someone that works there. Up until the time, it's like T-sheets where there's, you know, a building with their with their name at the top. And then everyone's like, what, what, where'd this come from? And then, you know, the exit and, you know, everything else. We just have a lot going on in this valley. Travis Hawks, uh, managing partner for Capital 11. Thanks for joining us on the Boise Dev podcast. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again for having me and appreciate uh, all that you do for our community. Uh, big fan. I'm a big fan of Boise Dev and, uh, and I mean, partially my idea. So of course I'd be a big fan, but uh, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But really do appreciate all, all that you guys, you and your staff do. It's, it's first class coverage and we're, we're blessed to have it here. Thank you. Checks in the mail. Ha, 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 ha.